Welcome to MLM.com podcast. This is Nancy Tobler. I'm guest hosting for Kenny Rollins. Today, our guest is Mark Schaub. He works as a lawyer, or has worked as a lawyer in Shanghai since 1993. He specializes in foreign direct investment and restructuring in China. He has advised on foreign investment projects in all major sectors in China with a cumulative value exceeding USD $20 billion. He's familiar with China issues faced by companies of all sizes and is a trusted advisor to many companies ranging from family-owned businesses to Fortune 500 companies. He is also the global co-head of King and Wood Mallison's consumer practice. So welcome, Mark. Thanks, Nancy. So we're so excited to have you on the call. We get a lot of uh, reader response when we talk about China and how to do business in China. I think perhaps the very first question that uh, needs to be cleared up is that there's a difference in how direct selling or network marketing, multi-level marketing occurs in China. Would you talk about that difference? Sure. I think we'll talk a bit about it a bit later about the opportunity of China. Multi-level marketing or network marketing has a very big presence in China and it's growing quickly. And I think it also, you know, it really gels with Chinese culture. Well, there's a large domestic uh, presence, but American companies do uh, do dominate the multi-level marketing. And they basically have three different ways they do it. Uh, perhaps the most traditional way is the direct sales model. So companies like Amway or uh, Herbalife or these kind of guys, uh, you know, they will actually get a direct license, direct sales license. Perhaps the PRC alternative to traditional network marketing structures. The PRC has a total ban of having anything more than one level of commission. Uh, so you need to have a direct sales license. For many companies, it, it really has stopped them entering the Chinese market because the requirements to do it are very high. So you have to put in a security deposit of about three million US dollars, and this has to be adjusted to include about 15% of sales revenue each month. Uh, you have to hire the direct sales people directly, and the remuneration has to be paid monthly. So it takes away a lot of the um, flexibility, which is attractive to a lot of people in network marketing. And then you need a direct sales license, which requires a minimum capital of about 12 million US dollars. And there are a slew of other requirements but I think for many companies, unless they're very big and they're very confident about the Chinese model, uh, and it also doesn't encompass all types of uh, goods. It's mostly for cosmetics companies, supplements, so household-type uh, uh, appliances. So I guess it is a model, but it is quite inflexible and quite expensive. So did you have any questions about the direct sales model, or should I... Maybe talk just a little bit more about what kind of growth they've seen in the Chinese market in the last 10, 15 years. It's, has it been 15 years? I mean, the economy itself uh, would have grown probably five times in the last 15 years. Uh, supplements and international cosmetics, uh, they're uh, still the, the biggest part of MLM companies in China. And these are two of the hottest things growing at the moment. So even though the Chinese economy has slowed down to 6.5%, supplements are still growing at a rate of about 12% to 20%, and cosmetics are growing around 15%. There's a lot of demand, and I'd say that uh, China's really the largest market for cosmetics. It's not the largest one yet for supplements, uh, but it's a big market that's still growing far faster than anywhere else. Also, I think direct sales is roughly growing at about 20%. So it is a very buoyant thing. I mean, people look at the 6% or 7% growth that we're seeing in China. 
it doesn't really impact the retail sales. So the Chinese government's trying to push domestic consumption, and there's a much bigger consumer base than maybe five years ago. So now is probably the right time to come. Yeah. And, and maybe that would be a, a way to segue to the second model, um, which is a, a bit of a grey area, and it's uh, basically an offshore e-commerce model. And I'd say this only came about maybe five years ago, and it kind of shows you how new the Chinese consumer class is and how quickly it grew. So companies like Alibaba, you know, Taobao, Tencent, all these companies really have grown a lot in the last five years through e-commerce. So China has about uh, 880 million internet users. Uh, they, they do buy a lot online. And e-commerce is basically where, say, a U.S. company will be operating offshore and then they will bring the product into China via cross-border e-commerce and then they basically operate the business like they do in the States, having more than one level of um, commission. And typically, these businesses grow very, very quickly. We have seen a number of MLM clients where China was a secondary or a third market or you know, even a fourth market wasn't very interesting, but within a year, it grew bigger than the domestic market for them. When you're small, people won't notice, but the problem is once you get larger, uh, this e-commerce model, because it really is directly in breach of uh, the Chinese uh, regulations in respect of multi-levels of commission, it's inherently fragile. So a lot of these companies might be deemed to be illegal pyramid schemes. Uh, this will perhaps damage the reputation at home, but it will definitely interrupt the operations in China. And, you know, the Chinese authorities can do all kinds of things. They can arrest your affiliates. They might block your marketing channels like your website, your WeChat account. And, you know, we've also seen cases where company executives get arrested uh, once they get into China. And then the argument that, oh, we're offshore uh, won't really hold much water because they'll say, you might be offshore, but you're operating in China in an illegal way. So I think yeah. this is a very prevalent model in China, but I think it's like building a castle on sand. You know, once the castle gets too big, it might fall apart. Yeah, yeah, an interesting model. Uh, and I think you're right. I think there are a lot of companies that have gone that way. So what we've done recently is we've come up with a compliant model, which we call the SOSO model. And um, SOSO, at least in Chinese English, means not bad. Uh, but it is a bit of a middle ground type thing where it combines the benefits of the offshore e-commerce model and the direct sales model. So we had uh, a client that had uh, tried with the offshore e-commerce model, got into trouble, came to us, and then we had to put out the fires, but they still wanted to continue the business in China. And so we came up with a more compliant model, uh, which was based on you know, cross-border e-commerce, but having the uh, downline or their affiliates in China actually owning service companies and then being paid uh, based on the number of other people they service. This model stood the test of at least 12 months. Prior to instituting it, the client was having major problems with the Chinese authorities on a monthly basis, people being arrested. And now we actually have not had any issues uh, since we did that. I think the, the so-so model, as you call it, is very interesting uh, so people are paid to provide service on products that have been sold rather than being paid down many levels. They're just paid for additional activities beyond yes. the actual well, sale not, of the not, product. Not, 
Because some of the uh, MLM companies here are doing it more like a distributor basis, so the more you buy, the cheaper the product. This actually isn't that way structured. So basically, the affiliates uh, will have their own companies. So that's another layer of protection for the MLM company. Right. And, and the concept is the more people you have in your downstream, the more services you provide. So, you know, there's things, you know, like the social media aspects, providing these people with education on how to do it. And, you know, we had devised a way that there would be perhaps if you had more people in the downstream and then they had people in the downstream, you know, it could be argued that you would also have to provide services uh, to those people. But that actually has not arisen. So in practice, it actually has stuck at one level of commission. Yeah. And the affiliates, I mean, this was not like a brand new thing. Uh, what we had was a client that, and obviously I won't say who the company was, but the really bad day was in 2013 uh, where the police came, raided a rally, arrested 53 people and uh, put most of them in jail, seized all the computers. There, what we had to do was stop the bleeding. Uh, we had yeah. to get a PR firm to help with the reputational uh, damage. And then we had to recalibrate the model. So it's not easy. They had a very big business in China. They had a lot of affiliates who were working that way, were familiar with the business. And you know we were able to implement this new model and that was back in 2013, now 2019. Um, it's actually been running for six years without any hiccups, and even the affiliates seem very happy. Yeah, that's fascinating. Uh, I, I think our listeners will be very interested to know of this different approach, and they certainly, I assume, can contact you if they want more information. Uh, you talked just a little bit about this in your in your opening. Let's talk just a little bit about culture and why direct selling does so well in China. At the moment, the Chinese consumers, especially for anything you ingest or put on your skin, uh, there's still quite a large preference or a strong preference for imported goods. So, you know, typically most of the MLM goods are either imported or they may do just the packaging or the bottling of their cosmetic companies uh, like the last you know stage of it. So I think that's one cultural thing that people may not be aware of is that there's a lot of cachet in having uh, imported goods. Um, secondly, I think the Chinese uh, social system, now over many generations, it is a relatively low trust society. People um, have a network of their friends, their family, and you know it's interlinked communities, and people really trust each other rather than perhaps outside sources. So I think if somebody was going to buy something, uh, it's not that they would go on and check a consumer choice magazine as the ratings. They will ask people they know what they think of the product. We call it guanxi, this uh, connection. And so I think this is something which has been culturally there for a long time. Uh, they like to have these communities and reach out within their network. And I guess you know the other thing, which is not really a cultural thing, uh, well, it's a new cultural thing, is how the internet and mobile devices have exploded here. And so I'm spending a little bit more time overseas now, and so I've come up across this WhatsApp. In China, everybody uses WeChat, and the only thing I've got to say about WeChat is it's 100 times better than WhatsApp. So, you know, it's, uh, you know the, the, the statistics on it are crazy. You know, WeChat is basically you communicate, text people, you do 100 different things on WeChat, and there's 880 million people using it, and I think the average uh, hours of use per day, and you're going to think, no, this can't be right, but it is, 6.5 hours. Wow. So people are constantly on their WeChat. And so WeChat has just instituted this WeChat cells, 
which is an application that allows users to sell via WeChat with a commission base. So I think these are the three things. Firstly, having a network and using a network is a very normal thing in China. Secondly, um, uh, the fact that people want imported goods. And then thirdly, uh, this ability to connect to more people quicker. And people trust that social media WeChat? Is that working in their favor? Well, I think, you know, yeah. well, I think the thing is, they probably don't trust walking heads. So even though KOLs are very important, their key opinion leaders are important, they're probably less important than in the West. So I think very often people will have focus groups. So we had one client that was targeting uh, pregnant women or you know women who just uh, gave birth for supplements for you know women who just uh, had given birth. And there, it was more important to them to actually have mothers who were actually just experiencing it. So I think the real experience is more important. Yeah, that's fascinating. Because I'd love for you to talk about the crackdown that happened in 2017. And maybe you've really already discussed it, but what kinds of things got companies in trouble in 2017? And and is that sort of uh, waning now and not, not happening as much? Or 2017 crackdown was a total was totally unrelated to uh, U.S. Uh, MLM companies. Uh, you know, the, the media picked it up, and it did affect some of the MLM companies' uh, share prices, but it was actually very unfair. Uh, what it was targeting was that these Chinese, um, and I would use the term MLM very loosely, they were more like cults, and they were doing, you know, things that were absolutely illegal, much more illegal than just pyramid schemes. You know, they were basically kidnapping people, uh, sleep-depriving them and making them sell products this way, it really was something totally beyond, you know, even perhaps the most uh, uh, vehement uh, opponent of MLM. Uh, you know, nobody would actually categorize what they were doing as being MLM. They were basically criminal gangs. And so wow. I think uh, the Western media, either knowingly or just didn't understand the context, um, you know, misunderstood you know, what the crackdown was about. So I don't think it... Uh, it was really something that was directed at foreign MLM companies at all. Okay, great. Uh, well, I think that's that will clear it up a lot. In fact, I still see periodically a news article that will talk about the crackdown on um, pyramid schemes. That's usually what they call it. But people in the U.S. equate pyramid schemes with MLMs a lot, whether or not that's, I mean, it's, it's not a, a good comparison, well, obviously. Well, that's not fair. Yeah, it's not fair. Hopefully that's not fair. But I think, you know, uh, legitimate you know, network marketing companies in America, I think the short of it is, as far as I know, none of the major ones who were here were involved in the crackdown or suffered, and I think their share prices uh, recovered quite well. So I think it was misinformation, misunderstood. Yeah. Uh, and I think legitimate MLM companies, they just have to realize it's a different system in China, and you've got to work out how you want to act in a compliance fashion, because otherwise you might build a great business here but someone might, you know, destroy it very quickly. So you probably want a compliance long-term business rather than something that just won't work, you know, in the long term. Well, I want to thank you for spending some time with us this morning. Well, it's afternoon there, but it's morning for us still. I haven't had enough caffeine yet, really. Uh, anything else you want to share with us this morning? No, I, you know, China is a, a big opportunity, uh, but I think you know, most of the risks can be mitigated with just some common sense measures. And very happy with any of your listeners, uh, we're happy to have a chat or send them some information. You know, we just want to uh, make people perhaps demystify China 
and let them think about it. And they may decide not to come here or not to come right now. Uh, but, you know, it's probably better to have an informed decision rather than, you know, rely on media or other reports which may, you know, paint a, you know, inaccurate um, situation. Good. Well, I think you've dispelled a couple of myths today as well as enhanced our understanding. I think your so-so model is very interesting. I think our, our listeners will be very interested in how you've put together this, as you say, sort of a middle approach. Um, and again, thank you for your expertise. We appreciate you and uh, we appreciate your articles. There are a couple of them on MLM.com and we look forward to future work with you. Right. Well, thanks very much. All right. Thank you so much. Goodbye. Thanks, Nancy. Bye. This has been the MLM.com podcast. Today's guest has been Mark Schaub. His offices are in London and he works in China. And he has explained to us some fascinating things about culture there, as well as the legal climate and their model and how they approach direct selling in China. And it's been a fascinating listen. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you hear here, we want you to share it. And we'd love to have you comment. And we'd love to know topics that you'd be interested in. We'll try to find an expert to interview. Thanks again for joining us at MLM.com podcast.